You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Just when you think your heart rate couldn't be raised enough, the Cincinnati Bengals for the second week in a row pull out an absolute stunner to get to 4-1 and one and are atop the AFC North division. Hey, everyone. How's it going? It's Anthony Cazenza with the Orange and Black Insider once again. And even though the Bengals have a handful of great wins already this season, they've got a big game coming up this Sunday in Week 6. We'll talk about that in just a second. I'm joined by my usual co-host, John Sheeran. John, uh, I promise I wasn't mad at you last week, man. Uh, <laughs> I promise we didn't leave on purpose. I don't, yeah, I don't know what happened there, but uh, we missed you for the rest of the show. Um, we got a couple of questions in from you to our to our other gentleman who joined us, and then uh, about one comment in <laughs> about the Falcons or Dolphins, and then uh, you went bye-bye. So um, it's good to have you back, and hopefully no little – Google demons will get you this time. Hopefully not. Hopefully, yeah. hopefully those guys at Google will not will leave me alone for the night. Yeah, you might. You must have pissed someone off at corporate. Yeah. Or something. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> uh, anyway, great, great to have you back. Obviously, exciting past couple of weeks for the Bengals, right? Like they can't give us a break. I guess let's try and recap what the hell happened last Sunday. Um, once again. Cincinnati, uh, uh, Cincinnati had a different kind of comeback against the Falcons, right? They were kind of going toe to toe. That score, it was just kind of score for score for score. Yeah, there's a couple of of you know holding the uh, the opposition to no points and all you know all that kind of stuff. But for the most part, especially in that first half, it was like a toe to toe game, right? Mm-hmm. This was a different kind of comeback. This was you play like absolute garbage for two and a half quarters, and literally. Every facet of the game was not working. They were getting gouged early in the run game. They couldn't get any kind of semblance of rhythm on offense. The special teams had a blocked field goal and a punt return touchdown with like less than a half a minute left in the half, Mm. a 70-yard return. That's inexcusable. Then you come out and you're like, okay, you get the ball at half. Okay, but now they've had time to regroup. Let's get this together. They come out and put forth probably the worst possible three and out series on offense that you could put, you could go out there with after, after how you played the first half. I, I guess I'm trying to figure out a question here, but I mean, what was, I guess, what was the biggest catalyst in this comeback? Was it Andy Dalton? Was it Joe Mixon? Was it the defense clamping up and, and making adjustments that way? A um, lot of fingers to point at both on the positive and negative, but I'm trying to sit here and say, that's the person responsible for this comeback, and I don't know who that is. Yeah, it just felt, in my opinion, because I was hungover watching the game, but I, <laughs> it just felt 
like it just felt strange to, just to watch because like it, it was the game that both Perfect and Mixon were returning, and they are you know kind of like the heart and soul of both sides of the ball. They're the guys who kind of gets everybody going. They kind of feed off their energy, and we saw none of that in the first quarter and a half. And obviously, for, to Perfect's point, you know it was his first game back all year. Um, you know, it, it, I, don't, I don't think he was out of shape. You know, he kind of collapsed down on a question before the, the game, like early in the week, like, uh, I'm at, like, I'm in shape, like I've been practicing, but obviously he's had troubles, you know, getting back into football shape once he comes back from suspension, but just that energy on, on defense wasn't quite there, even though they were doing a pretty good job of um, containing the Dolphins offense. And obviously they weren't getting any help from the Bengals offense. And that was because, you know, the running game just wasn't kind of working and they were kind of forcing it with Mixon, trying to get that energy going and it just kind of wasn't happening. So it was around the middle of the third quarter where Mixon finally started to get a little bit of a groove. Um, they obviously didn't get uh, that crazy um, Mixon to Dalton touchdown until the beginning of the fourth quarter. But it was kind of towards like the end of the third quarter where they finally started getting uh, su- sustained drives on offense and picking up wh- what the defense was giving them. Obviously, you know the special teams issues, you know the the drastic special teams issues were a major hindrance and could have easily put the game away. But I just think that. It was around that time when both Burfecht, you know, kind of lit his spark under the defense and Mixon lit his spark under the offense and things kind of clicked. And like, they kind of just like woke up saying, Hey, wait a minute, we're, we're a three, one team. We're one of the best teams in the NFL. Let's, let's start playing like it before it's too late. And things just kind of exploded. And unfortunately for the dolphins, it just kind of, just kind of ran to a train wreck, like in the final 20 minutes of the game. And it was just, it, it was as bizarre to see as it was the first 40 minutes where it was just like, what, 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 what exactly is going on here? Yeah. If I'm a Dolphins fan, I, I don't even know what I want. I, mean, yeah. I would have been, been like, what is happening here? Um, I, I want to talk about this guy because he's been uh, – and I like what you said, first of all, about Mixon and Burfick being kind of the, uh, you know, the, the catalysts, if you will, in terms of, you know, leadership and all that kind of stuff. I, I said this on a, in a post I wrote this week for Cincy Jungle that – they're the emotional catalyst. Yeah, A.J. Green might be more talented than Joe Mixon in terms of uh, being on that side of the football. Yes, Geno Atkins might be more talented than Vontez Perfect on that side of the ball. But in terms of rallying the troops and in terms of, you know, getting guys revved up, those two guys seem to be the guys that everybody else looks to. There's a bunch of others. Drake or Patrick's one of them, and, and there are some others. Um, but I, I look to those two. Now, I want to talk about Michael Johnson for a second because he has been a fan favorite whipping boy. Mm-hmm. I thought in limited snaps, aside, touchdown play aside, which was gigantic, but touchdown play aside, I thought he played pretty well. He had a, a critical tackle for loss late. Mm-hmm. He had three total tackles. Um have you now? I don't want to. I don't want to throw you under the bus and say, "Oh, you're this big Michael Johnson hater" or whatever. But have you softened up a little bit in terms of, hey, you know, this guy still brings some worth? Uh, I think he's what in his eleventh season, tenth season, um, yeah. ninth with the Bengals, and you know, this the the old dog can still learn some new tricks and still help out this team. Obviously, we saw what Hubbard could do. Um, he's a hustler and he's got, he's got a high motor and he makes big plays when he's out there. But are you still saying, you know what? Michael Johnson still has a productive niche on this team. Yeah. And, um, I predicted that Johnson wasn't going to be a part of the final cuts because he brought that veteran leadership. And because, you know, the time Hubbard was still an unknown Willis hasn't exactly taken that next step. And Johnson played awful in the preseason, 
and you know it's it's inexcusable but he's obviously at the point where less snaps is better and that's kind of the direction that they're going with the defense because Hubbard is obviously you know playing a more increased role as an inside pass rusher Willis is taking a lot of snaps as an edge setter on the outside and Johnson's just kind of part of that rotation and it was that personal foul penalty on Johnson where I think it might have been a little, a little bit of a wake-up call. I said, hey, this might be my last year with a team that, you know, I've done a lot in the community. I've set a great example at, in, in the locker room. You know, I'm a leader, and I made a stupid mistake. And from that point on, you know, he kind of turned it around in, in the snaps that he's given. And, you know, he's not going to play the majority of the snaps of the game anymore. And that's, that's perfectly fine because in limited chances, he can sometimes give you a spark in the pass rush, you know, rushing inside gaps. And, he can still make plays in the running game because he's still, you know, a decent athlete at 6'7", 270 pounds. And it was after that penalty where he made those couple tackles for loss. And then, you know, he just made a play against awful backup left tackle on Sam Young and almost almost sacked Ryan Tannehill, ended up being the perfect spot for his first touchdown of his career. So it was kind of that moment that he kind of redeemed himself in the limited chances that he's getting. And yeah, and that, that's kind of like the, that's kind of like the niche and the role that, we kind of expected him to, if he's going to succeed at all, that's that's how he's going to succeed. And just yeah. you know, less is more for, for Johnson at this point. That's basically what we ended up seeing. And it was just kudos to him for turning around after that sour moment. Yeah, cra- crazy sequence of events. And, uh, I mean, he's behind the quarterback and mm-hmm. makes an interception. Um, you just don't, you don't hear that very yeah, often. It, yeah, it was, it was behind the quarterback. He made an interception. It was Hubbard was in front of the quarterback. He recovered a fumble. Was, right. Yeah. It, 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 it's just the sequence of events in that game were unbelievable. And to, and to kind of wrap this part up before we get to some listener questions, again, you can call us here in just a sec, uh, 949-542-6241. Um, we have limited time for a call or two, and then we've got some text to get to. So call us here in just a, just a second. But just to kind of put this into perspective, John, and I think every Bengals fan feels this way, and I think it's, a, a, it's an understandable way to feel in terms of you weigh – optimism and hey they can come back from any kind of scenario at this point with still a lot of mistakes and still some some big issues i mean how how do you tip that scale in terms of like hey i'm really optimistic or you know i I still they got to win some other games coming down the pike and they got to clean some stuff up before i kind of believe you know what i mean yeah, and that's 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 why I'm excited about them playing on Sunday Night Football because they can't they can't hide forever. Like if they go yeah. into, if they go in December with like two losses, they're obviously going to probably get, get flexed for a game then. So they're not going to go into the playoffs, you know, completely unbeknownst to the primetime stage. And what better way to get you know pr- preparation for you know the the stage of the playoffs than playing the best team in your conference on the biggest stage of the week? That that's that's a great way to really solidify what our expectations should be. Yes, they're talented. Yes, they seem to have uh, a certain you know, minor change of, of their culture and how they approach games, but all that is moot until they prove that they can do things that they haven't done before in this era, and that's win big games on the biggest stages. So it, it's, it's fine to be optimistic, but it's also fine to say, hey, none of this kind of really matters until it does matter at the end of the season. Yep, and like we said... Um... They've already done a lot this year already in five short games to show us quite a bit of of how they've changed as a team. Uh, these next two weeks will also tell us a lot, like you said. This this one, this Sunday, should be incredibly interesting for a variety of reasons. Um, 
AFC North battle, obviously a longtime rivalry um, with the with the Pittsburgh Steelers, and they host them. And it's kind of a uh, you know it's kind of a, a who's who type of game. Yeah, a lot of things can still play out over the rest of the season, but it is a who's who kind of game. It is for AFC North dominance, all of that, and to help us preview the upcoming week six Steelers at Bengals game. We have Brian Davis from behind the steel curtain and their podcast over there through the SB nation podcast network. Brian, thank you so much for joining us. How are you, sir? Hey, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Great to be in the jungle. Yeah. Yeah. And good to have you in the jungle. Uh, I'm not, I'm not technically I'm not uh, in the jungle per se. I'm actually, I actually live in Southern California, so I'm not, I'm not in the jungle per se, but John, my co-host is definitely in. Uh, We're about three miles outside the jungle. And as far as I'm concerned, the Steelers are extremely welcome in the jungle because they seem to do well here. <laughs> Very true. Uh, Brian, before we kind of jump into previewing the game, if you I just want to tell our listeners a little bit about your background. Uh, obviously, like I said, you're at Behind the Steel Curtain through the SB Nation Network. You, have, you run a podcast over there uh, with your co-host, Anthony, who has a, a stellar first name. Um, so tell us a little bit about that, how long you've been there, and uh, if you live Steel City and how you became a fan, all that good stuff. Well, you know, I'm a Johnstown, PA native. Um, so I grew up you know, living and breathing Pittsburgh Steelers, especially I got into it in the late seventies when I was about seven years old. So I was growing up during, uh, during the Super Bowl dynasty era. So it's something that, you know, they beat you up in gym class. If you don't <laughs> wear black and gold. So, I mean, it's something that I've just lived and breathed and just, and just loved for years. Um, but right now I don't live in Pennsylvania. I actually live in the state of Maryland. Mm. which is so smack dab in the middle of Baltimore Raven territory. I was going to say, here I am and I'm the bad guy again and I love it. And so I got involved with SB nation about three and a half years ago. And there was this, uh, my daughter was in kindergarten at the time and she had this little buddy at school that she always hung out with. And uh, it was field day and I got there and the, the boy's dad was there and I've seen him around and he always wore, wore Pittsburgh stuff. And so he came up to me and said, hey, uh, what do you think about the Steelers this year? And I said, well, you know, it's June. But I'm like, you know what? I read an article today. I absolutely loved it. I'm really excited about the season because they're talking about it now. He goes, yeah, you know, I wrote that article. Like, you got to be kidding me. What do you mean you wrote that article? Here it was Jeff Hartman, editor of Behind the Steel Curtain. And uh, six days later, my first article appeared. And I've been on ever since. Um, about two years ago, I started Factor Fiction, um, which I'm no longer doing that podcast, but um, I would do the Steeler Hangover with, with uh, Jeff and now with uh, Anthony Defio. I go ahead and uh, do the uh, Steeler Hangover on Monday nights, and we do the preview show on uh, Thursday evenings with Jeff. So I've been doing that. I've, uh, I do a few articles a week, and I try to do more satire, more fun. And, uh, you know, I'll do bold and bizarre predictions before the game. Um, one will be your typical prediction. James Conner will run for 100 yards or, or whatever. And then I'll go ahead with, uh, you know, at halftime, Le'Veon Bell will appear on the Jumbotron uh, doing his new song, Bloated, and I should be <laughs> loaded or something like that. So, I mean, I, I have a lot of fun with it, but I love my team. And, I, you know, I respect this North Division. 
Well, it's good to have you with us. Uh, good to good to have another SB Nation brother, so to speak, on the on the show. And um, we, you know, I know of Jeff from afar, and I know he's he's really carried the baton well from Neil Coulomb, who used to run uh, behind the steel curtain. So definitely give give him our kudos for the work that you guys do over there. Um, let's just start off with it. It's been kind of a Jekyll and Hyde start for the Pittsburgh Steelers, Brian, to say the least. Start off with a tie against the Browns. Now, the Browns seem to be a, an improved team, which we thought they would be. Um, start off the season with a tie with the Browns. You know, you have a loss against the Ravens. And um, then you come back this week and and have a, a, a kind of a real statement win against the Falcons. I think the Falcons are deceiving now one and four in my book. But um, your take on the start of the Steelers and are, are they kind of starting, does this game last week kind of make you believe that they're starting to gain that typical Steelers momentum that we see kind of mid-season, late season, after sometimes a sluggish start. You know what? I really think think you do. And I uh, made this comment with Tony on our podcast the other day that you might possibly look back on that long pass from Ben Roethlisberger to Antonio Brown, that bomb that made the score 34-17 to as possibly the turning point of the season. Because this has been a tale of two Bens. We're either getting road Ben, um, which we usually get, but now we're getting road Ben at home where he has just been playing absolutely awful at times and then shows some stretches of brilliance. So it's really going to uh, live and die right now on the arm of Ben Roethlisberger because you're needing to see at least 350 yards out of him and maybe three touchdown passes with just the state of the Steeler defense. Because right now they look good against a very – Good Atlanta offense, but that defense is ranked at the bottom of the league for a reason because they're not good right now. The scheming is bad, and they just need to pull it together. And I don't think that this team has ever been the same since December 4th of last year at Paul Brown Stadium when Ryan Shazier went down because that defense Mm -hmm. lost the heart of it at that point. And they've been – I don't know the exact record, but – Five and six or five and five cents. Well, Shazir, obviously a very, very good football player. And uh, uh, we'll talk a little bit more about some of the, some of those facets in in just a little bit, but uh, there's a lot of different areas that we could go to. And I don't want to steal my co-host thunder here, but um, I I guess it's a good segue into the Ben Roethlisberger, Antonio Brown connection this year. Um, This is a duo that has been incredibly pro- prolific over the past couple of years. Um, obviously, there's some issues to start the season. Antonio Brown kind of seems a little uh, upset, um, has a big game last week. But then after the big game, there's kind of some other off-field stuff that comes about. I guess talk a little bit about Antonio Brown, his start to the season, his game last week, and what should be ahead for him. You know what? Sometimes I don't know whether I am watching Pittsburgh Steelers football or days of our lives because this is team turmoil. And yeah, you've been there. You've had a guy like Ocho Cinco over the years and you know, that diva receiver. Uh, We definitely have a diva receiver. We love him, but AB is a diva and he's the kind of guy that he is not completely happy unless he is getting the ball. He wants to be the focal point. He wants to be the guy that is leading the league and the showcase player. So you have a guy like Juju coming along, Juju Smith-Schuster, who is stealing a lot of his thunder. 
and he's a hit in Pittsburgh. They absolutely love him there, and uh, he's and he's playing. He's playing well, and he's getting the targets, but not all the targets that AB wants to have. Um, so you know you have a little bit of that. Um, I was at the game in week two when uh, Ben Roethlisberger scored to tie the game up and, uh, you know, get closer against the Kansas City Chiefs and A.B. sulked. Antonio walked off the field. It was really upset about it. Next thing you know, on Monday, he doesn't show up. Um, he's had a chip on his shoulder for the last six, eight months. Everybody's trying to figure out what that is. He's been arguing with the press. Here's a guy that is jolly and happy-go-lucky, and then all of a sudden he seems dead inside all, all of a sudden. So we don't know what's going on mentally with him. And now with the news that's coming out right now of the possible lawsuit because of trashing a condo in Miami and throwing stuff out the window, which is, you know, I don't know what's going on, but I, I just know that it's week after week. It's drama, drama, and then more drama. And just when you thought you saved the drama for your mama, more drama. I mean, it just keeps happening in Pittsburgh. Um, so we're, it's the return of team turmoil. And here you go with Antonio Brown. So um, the big thing is he wants his targets, but he's one of the most targeted wide receiver in the National Football League. But when they connect, they seem better. And those two touchdown passes and the fact that, uh, that they seem to just really gel in that week five game, it could really be a turning point. But one thing in defense of Antonio Brown, he had 13 targets the other day against Atlanta, which that is not a great defense. And they had a lot of guys hurt on that defense. 13 targets, only caught seven of them. Those other six targets that he missed, not his fault. Ben overthrew him, underthrew him, didn't even get near him. I mean, he could have, if they were even close to him, could have been 13 for 13. I'm a Ben guy. But Ben was off. I know he's coming out and saying, you know, my elbow was hurt. I needed to suck it up. But Ben's a drama guy, too. He's a, he's a guy that is, is better when he's ticked off. He's better when, he's, uh, when you think he's out and you're counting him out. He's kind of that cowboy in a Western now, that crazy cowboy. Um, <laughs> so, you know, you never know week to week. We just want a win and a silent week here in Pittsburgh, and just does not seem to be happening the last couple of years. So you talked about, obviously, Antonio is getting the ball thrown at him at, you know, it's still at, you know, a high rate. It's not the not the lack of targets that's the problem. It might just be the way that the ball is getting to them. And, you know, when watching Hard Knocks, one of, the, one of my favorite guys to watch is Todd Haley. And Haley's been with the Steelers through Antonio Brown's, you know, great years. And then, you know, he left for Cleveland, and then you guys replaced him Kind of like what the Bengals did when they replaced Hugh Jackson. You replaced them with your quarterback coach, Randy Fitchner, who was with the team for a long time. Um, do you think that a lot of the uh, – now, obviously, the disconnect between Roethlisberger and Brown, is, you know, it, it can't be traced to just on-the-field performance. Like, no no quarterback or receiver duo has more incompletions as the quarterback's fault than Roethlisberger and Brown. Do you think, though, that the transition from Haley to Fitchner has been, you know, rough to say the least and could be, you know, one of the – main factors behind the, the disconnect we've seen from the offense. You know, Randy actually discovered Antonio Brown um, at Central Michigan. Um, so he, he scouted him. Um, there's really not a disconnect there. But, you know, I'm going to correct you in something. The offensive coordinator in Pittsburgh is not Randy. It's Ben Roethlisberger. 
he was handpicked by Ben Roethlisberger. So there was not even, there wasn't even a search when that happened in January. It wasn't a search. Todd Haley and Ben Roethlisberger never got along. And it seems like I'm just pounding on Ben, but Ben wanted Roethlisberger gone when the coordinator that should have been gone was on the defensive side of the ball, Keith Butler. This is a guy that led an offense, the coaching offense that put 42 up on the great Jacksonville defensive last year in the playoffs. I mean, Haley is a good coach. Um, they just, he was just never the guy in Pittsburgh. Um, kind of ran out of town, but, you know, same organization that ran Bruce Arians out of town. But the bottom line to the whole thing is Ben and, and Todd Haley never got along, and you saw it more. It really helped destroy the team. You know, you know the famous Jesse James non-catch touchdown against New England? That oh, yeah. entire time, that entire time when they were supposed to be planning a play, getting ready, they wouldn't even go near each other on the sideline. They weren't planning anything. Ben forced in, then been through an interception, but they were completely out of sync because they weren't even talking at that point. So they never got along. Randy was Ben's quarterback coach for years, and that's the guy he handpicked. So, like like I said, the joke is that Ben's the offensive coordinator and Randy's just there. Um, but Randy's also a guy that went to college along with, uh, I mean, coached in college along with Keith Butler with Mike Tomlin. So they go back a long way. Um, you know, I've seen him do some decent things this year as well. So I'm not completely down on it. I just thought uh, Todd Haley was sent out of town for no good reason. Now, you mentioned Antonio Brown. He went over and hugged Todd Haley during that Cleveland game. That, uh, you know, that was uh, something that they were still awfully close. Um, Antonio Brown, his problems with Randy is just the fact that He's just not getting the ball enough. And what's happening, the, the other problem, is Ben is trying to get the ball to him in situations you saw in the Cleveland game, like when he's triple covered. He's still forcing the ball into him when he has other options because he's trying to keep the guy happy. And sometimes I'm, I'm wondering if he's just throwing it to him out of spite. Just a, It's just a crazy situation. Like I said, it's team turmoil. There's a lot of me. And there needs to be team. And I think that's going to start coming together as we go. And there's the other big elephant in the room. And I mentioned elephant because we just saw him on a jet ski in Florida. It's Le'Veon Bell is hanging over the head of this team too. And that is another thing that's causing so much turmoil in the locker room. They just, they're just not together. In fact, I think the entire team needs a lockout, maybe a, a lock in, maybe a Chuck E. Cheese or Dave and Buster's. And just go hang out and play and play video games for the night. They just need to some somehow kind of gel and uh, get on the same page. But I'm still thinking that that touchdown pass the other day might be the turning point that might just get them back together. And going into Week Six against a team like Cincinnati, if you go in to their house where they have struggled over the years, beat a four and one team. If you can pull that off, then two more division games right after that. And you could have the complete season turned around at that point. So that's what the hope is in Pittsburgh. Yeah. And the hope for the Bengals is that whenever Pittsburgh comes to town, um, Bengals fans are pretty used to seeing whoever playing quarterback getting sacked multiple times. Cause for whatever reason, Pittsburgh does a great job of disguising blitzes and creating, you know, 
fantastic pressure packages. I'm talking about mostly in the Dick LeBeau days. Obviously, he's long gone now. You know, the, the Steelers, we, we, we saw them, you know, get to Matt Ryan a little bit. TJ Watt had, I think, three sacks coming off that that right edge of the offensive line. Obviously, the Bengals have a weakness there. Do you see that, the like, you know, you said that, you know, that touchdown for Antonio Brown could get the offense, you know, get back going. Do you see um, that game against the Falcons being a way as like a, reju- a rejuvenation of the pass rush to potentially, you know, kind of lead your defense, you know, back to, you know, a- a- at least adequacy because, Obviously, the secondary has issues, but you know the Bengals have, have had trouble defending you know the Steelers' pass rush in the past. You know, it the best answer that I can provide right now is it depends, and it depends on the scheme. Because that Baltimore game on Sunday night, Chris Collinsworth was in the booth saying, "Why aren't they rushing? I mean, they're they're not even trying to rush." And if you just put a little pressure on Flacco. That's a completely different game, but I don't think they were believing in their defensive backs at the time. And the thing in Pittsburgh, the pass rush gives the – oh, any team – gives the defensive backs more time to cover. If – and so that's the big thing. We got finally got Cam Hayward going. Uh, Cam Hayward had two sacks in that game. Um, as long as the scheme is the pass rush, they will have more success – and giving a guy like Joe Hayden, who had an amazing game against Julio Jones and had a good game against A.J. Green in week six or seven last year in Pittsburgh. And, you know, th- that's that's the hope that and that's the big matchup to watch. If Hayden could keep up with A.J. Green, they have a chance to turn that defense around. But like you said, it does start with that pass rush to get everything going. Talking with Brian Davis at Behind the Steel Curtain and uh, their podcast through the SB Nation family of podcasts, which this podcast is actually a, a part of as well. So um, we're, we're a nice little tight-knit, tight-knit family here. Um, and Brian is advocating for the Steelers to have a kumbaya moment at uh, Dave & Buster's, which just sounds like fun in general. So, uh, yeah, you know, they could use it. Uh, Brian, you know, we could talk about the Le'Veon Bell thing. I think that's been beaten to death. I don't, I don't really want to go there. James Conner has filled in. Uh, there's been some peaks and valleys there. Um, I guess where I want to go with this is how confident are you that this Steelers team is going to turn things around for good. Uh, I mean, I, I can I can remember back in that 05 season, they were basically out of the playoff picture, I think, towards the end of that season. They rattled off four wins to, to finish the season and then four straight postseason wins. They, they went 8-0, I think, that year. We know they finished strong. That's, that's what this team does. To me, I think this is an elite franchise that knows how to win, knows how to build a team and just they, they have continuity at the head coach, all of that. But this year, the head coach has come under scrutiny. You said there's a lot of me first people in that locker room that's showing a little bit in terms of the performance. How confident are you down the stretch, whether bell comes back or not, or what have you, how confident are you that this Steelers team is going to put their foot on the gas pedal, turn things around and be that usual 10 win team that they, that we see year in and year out. Can I cop out and say cautiously optimistic? Um, <laughs> you, you know, I actually, I kind of have that feeling. And I'm not, I'm not a homer because actually I, the last three weeks I picked against him. I picked against him against Tampa. I picked against him against Baltimore. And I picked against him last week. But I'm feeling that uh, 
I had that aha moment the, with that pass. And that game just felt like it was an awakening. So we've seen it before with Mike Tomlin teams. Um, it seems like just when you think that he should be on the, the chopping block, that he puts it together. And that team did it last year. They were three and two, but that loss against Jacksonville in week five was just absolutely devastating. And then they turn around and they, they didn't lose again until week 16. It was like December 17th against new England. They, in that Jesse James game that we talked about, they didn't lose again. They finished 13 and three, but they're, they're a team that despite the team turmoil tag, they, they somehow get it together, and I just have that gut feeling that it's going to happen again, but it hinges on week six. Um, if it doesn't happen in week six, this could be a completely different situation because you're looking at a five and one Cincinnati team at that point, and you're sitting at two, three, and one, and that might not be good enough even to get a wild card at this point. But right, and, and, and half their division happen. games. Half their division games already in the rear view at that point at two, three, and one, because uh, you, you played you played tied Cleveland, you lost to Baltimore, and then if you do lose to Cincinnati, I mean that's that's not a good way to start the divisional games. John, you had another question for him. Yeah, so I, I guess kind of following off of that, would you when regarding Mike Tomlin, do you contribute him as the guy who you know kind of lets these things drag out during the season, or more as the guy that brings people together? You know, late in the season for a turnaround is, is he more on the on the the, the side that you know creates disaster, the side that kind of um, solves it? I guess. You know what? I don't have a great answer for that because uh, you know one thing that I complain about is fostering an atmosphere with no discipline whatsoever. But it seems like they do a lot of stuff in house. If you watch his press conferences. There's a lot of no comments. Um, he mentioned today or yesterday that, you know, I didn't even know about the Antonio Brown situation when you knew that he did. Mm-hmm. Um, he handle he handles situations. Um, we saw it last year around this time, right after the Cincinnati game, the first Cincinnati game, the victory in Heinz Field, they had Martavis Bryant, you know, was ripping on teammates and tweeting and not showing up and uh, set him down for a week. And the rest of the season, Martavis Bryant was on point and uh, not a problem in the locker room. So I, uh, that's a hard one to answer. I think he's a little too loose at times, but it seems internally that he helps pull everything together. So I know that's a wishy-washy answer, but there's something going on to continue to win year after year when the guy's worst seasons were two seasons of eight and eight. Yeah. And that's, that's the Steelers MO. Like I said, they're, they're constantly in the playoff picture, playoff hunt, all of that. Uh, Brian, we've, we've gone uh, a little longer with you than expected, but it's been a pleasure because you've uh, brought immense knowledge and all of that. So I apologize for taking up so much time uh, this evening, but we appreciate your insight. I guess we'll just close with this. Um, your big keys to the game on Sunday and how you see it playing out. I'm going to rewind to something you said just a couple minutes ago about the Joe Hayden, AJ green thing. That's been a matchup that has been a battle since Hayden joined the league along with green as a top 10 pick in 2011. There was some really good battles when he was on a terrible Cleveland team against AJ green. Um, So I agree with you that that being one of the keys, but 
your kind of keys to the game and your prediction uh, as to uh, how this goes. The Bengals are 0-6 the last six contests against the Steelers. Well, um, you know, Joe Hayden's number one. Number two is that offensive line of Pittsburgh, you know, trying to solve uh, Dunlap and Atkins. That's the bottom line. If they can give Ben time, they're going to do so much better as far as an offense. So it comes down to the offensive line. A lot, the fans love Alejandro Villanueva, but he could be up and down. Um, so that's a huge concern there. With And it's a good offensive line, but they need to hold up. And the third key is James Conner. James Conner needs 30 carries um, and 150, 175 yards total. Not on the ground, but, you know, through the air. And that's something where he's been doing very well um, in place of Le'Veon Bell. He is He did not have that in the past, and he's brought that aspect to his game as a very good pass catcher and a very good blocker in the backfield that was uh, Le'Veon Bell's M.O. So James is filling in nicely. And just in defense of James real quick, when he was not running well, they those games, they were down 21 nothing, 17 nothing early in those games. And you're not running the ball, and he's going to have a bad stat line. But when he's on, he's been very good with two 100-yard seasons this year. But thanks so much, fellas, for having me. I am very long-winded, so I will apologize for that. No, no, I no, no, probably no, no. go without a breath. <laughs> for another five minutes if I needed to. No, you're good. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't an indictment on you. We've just uh, – it's a big week. <laughs> I mean, we, just, we have a lot of questions. We have a lot to talk about. Um, this is a, a huge game. And unfortunately for the Bang, for Bengals fans, this is kind of a – our usually our season's version of a Super Bowl or a playoff game is against the Steelers. That's just usually how it goes. And this week is no exception. The Bengals got off to a better start than a lot of people figured. Uh, Pittsburgh is still right in the hunt, but they're, they've been up and down a little bit. So this is a big game, and the Bengals just have not fared well against the Steelers in the Marvin Lewis era. They do well against the Browns. They do well against the Ravens. They just cannot figure out a way to beat Pittsburgh. So this is a big game for both teams going forward in terms of their season. We appreciate it. Again, this is Brian Davis with Behind the Steel Curtain and uh, their podcast. Are you on Twitter, Brian? I don't, did, did you mention that at the beginning of the show? Yeah, no, I did not, but I am finally on Twitter, and it is uh, BTSC, B-A-D, because you mentioned my podcast partner. I go by Brian Anthony Davis. So uh, oh, okay. BTSC, B-A-D, and I have all 48 followers right now, so let's try to beef that up over 50. <laughs> is your middle name Anthony? Yes, Brian Anthony Davis. Oh, my gosh. Two Anthonys on a Steelers podcast, and then you're on with an Anthony here. It's uh, Sorry, John. You're the outsider, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, thanks again, Brian. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. And uh, everybody go check out his stuff. Enjoy the game this Sunday, Brian. I I'm sure it's going to be – it'll be pretty, but it'll be ugly, I'm sure. Yeah, and that's that's been the history of Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, for as long as I can remember. So as much as I fear it sometimes, I love it too. That's real football. Yep. We'll enjoy it. And uh, yeah, we, we enjoyed having you on, buddy. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks, fellas. See ya. All right. That was uh, Brian Davis with Behind the Steel Curtain. Awesome, awesome guy and uh, brought the knowledge. Great show that he does. I listened to a little bit of it as I asked him uh, to, to join our program. And 
If you're looking for a Steelers fan to actually like and buy a beer for and all of that, Brian seems to be that kind of guy. He's a, he's a nice guy and uh, we appreciate it. And we were talking before the show, John, and he was saying that, you know, he's, he's got respect for the Bengals and all that kind of stuff. So we, uh, you know, we, we got to give him a little props on that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so John, we are, uh, Gosh, I guess from here, we should, since we just had Brian on, we should give our takes a little bit on uh, previewing the Steelers game. Then we can backtrack a little bit, talk about the exciting game against the Dolphins and some other things. Before I do, this is going to be a segment in just a minute, um, but I want to ask you, and this may be a little bit of a surprise to you, John, but I want to ask you and our live listeners as well as those who maybe catch the podcast afterward, if you want to give us some of your comments on this. I have kind of a unique question I've been thinking about over the past couple of weeks, and it goes hand-in-hand with Vontez Perfect returning to the lineup. Basically, Marvin Lewis has been looking for kind of his next Ray Lewis type of linebacker, and he's had him, and he's thought he's had him in a lot of different forms. Um, But it's been a lot of what could have been, and that includes Perfect. So, John... uh, the question I have for you, and you can you can marinate on it for a few minutes, but and, and for the listeners here, basically I had three linebackers that were major what could have been based on injury, leaving the team, personal issues, whatever. Takeo Spikes, when when Marvin Lewis came up, came over in 2003, he tried to talk Takeo Spikes into staying into Cincinnati. He was an impending free agent. And Unfortunately, Spikes didn't stay. So there's a major what could have been there. He's He, uh, I think, made a Pro Bowl or two with a couple of other teams. Mm-hmm. And then you have Odell Thurman, was a borderline Pro Bowl player. His one year in 2005, thought that that was a guy. Total mess of a human being from there. Yeah. Right? He had, I think he had five picks. And, I mean, he his, his rookie season was insane. So there's a lot of what could have been there. And then you've got Vontez Perfect, who was an undrafted free agent and and the biggest success story, I guess, of the three because kind of a rags-to-riches thing made a Pro Bowl. But, oh, my gosh, injuries, suspensions, all that kind of stuff. It seems as if he could have been a perennial Pro Bowl player if he wasn't either in his own way or hurt himself. So I want you to think about those three in terms of, yes, there's more ahead for Vontez Perfect, but who could have been or who will be or whatever – the best linebacker in the what could have been linebacker group of those three. So keep that in the back of your mind. We're going to talk about the Steelers, but that's kind of our question of the night. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, I got it. I know. A lot there. I'm <laughs> rambling a little bit, but um, I, I thought I just randomly thought of those three, and I was like, you know, Marvin Lewis has always been looking for his linebacker. He thinks he's got him, and then they don't. So we'll get to that in a sec. John, the Bengals take on the Steelers. We just had we just had Brian Davis on to pre, uh, preview the game. Um, one thing I didn't get to ask him, I said I was gonna, but I I forgot. It's been a long week already. Um, was I, I, I kind of want to start with this because we didn't address it with him. There's a lot of smack talk, yeah, again going on this week. And I saw on your Twitter you had a colorful comment about uh, some comments by Bud Dupree. Uh, I got a good laugh out of that, buddy. By the way. Um, but for those who don't know, Bud Dupree essentially said, and I, I do want to refer you to my colleague's Twitter Twitter account to uh, get his commentary on it, but 
basically he said with the Ryan Shazier injury last year in that game towards the end of the season, which Ryan Shazier made a poor form tackle and hurt himself. Nobody, nobody cheap shot at him or hurt him or anything like that from the Bengals. Essentially, and correct me if I'm wrong, John, Bud Dupree said, well, once Ryan Shazier went out, we kind of went head hunting or injury hunting for the Bengals in that first half until we kind of figured out, oh, actually it was an accident. So there's that on the Steelers side. That's a new, a new one. Then you have Carlos Dunlap today talking about, yeah, and this is just more funny. Yeah. Um, you have Carlos Dunlap talking today about the new quarterback sack rules, the tackling rules, all that stuff. And he basically referred to Ben Roethlisberger as a 300 pound quarterback, obviously referring to his weight and not in a flattering <laughs> flattering form. So already the noise is starting to talk, uh, starting to, to pick up this week. Already you can cut I, there, I saw a thing on behind the steel curtain about like, oh, Ben is kind of letting bygones be bygones in terms of the chippiness of the last few games, all that kind of stuff. Do you expect this game to be, I mean, if you remember last year in that primetime game, that was a, that was a bloodbath. I mean, that was an absolute, Joe Mixon got hurt. Ryan Shazier got hurt. I mean, guys were just going down left and right. And they, you could tell by the way, guys were hitting each other. Mm. Do you expect that kind of game again, and not saying people are going to let up on the breaks or anything, but do you expect a 1 p.m. Eastern game to be that way? Is that is that just where this rivalry has gone? Mudslinging, guys talking about intentionally hurting other players on the other team, and all kinds of other things. Is that just where we're at? I guess with this rivalry, I, I guess and I guess until they prove that it's not, then it is. And part of that. It's something that I've been very adamant about ever since that game in December is that no one seems to want to be the bigger man. And partly because, you know, the Bengals team organization fan base culture is that we've always been the little brother in the rivalry and how the Steelers don't see it as a rivalry because they can just come in to Paul Brown Stadium and win 90% of the time. So it was the sense of, you know, we finally have a guy in perfect who can hit him back. And we're not going to feel sorry about it. And then the Steelers kicked it up a notch from their perspective because of it. And now it's just, you know, back and forth. Karma's happening all the time. And that it, it makes me honestly sick because the game isn't about, you know, matchups or, you know, which team is better than the other. It's just about which team can hurt the, the other the most. And yeah, how, many, how many stars could get off on the gurney? You know what right, I mean? Like, right. Come on. And, and like, and what I was hoping for after – you know, the game in December was some interference from the league office or from the refs of saying, hey, we're not going to put up with this anymore. We're going to crack down. And if any more BS starts to happen, there's going to be some major or, you know, consequences because of it. We've heard none of that. As far, as far as I'm concerned, this is good from the NFL's perspective because it's something that people talk about, regardless of player safety, because this is the most unsafe game of the year. And it happens twice a year. And it's, it's ridiculous. So, yeah, if it was in prime time, obviously I think it would be a lot worse because obviously there's more implications on that, and there's obviously more eyes watching. But this game is a huge, you know, barometer as to how both teams have grown since that day. And I just want—I don't care if it's the Bengals, I don't care if it's the Steelers. I just want one team to step up and just be the bigger person in this relationship, so we can just focus 
on the good things in football, not the bad things in football. And the bad things in football is injuries, and it's this thing that we should not want to see, you know, regardless of what happened in the past. I, I plenty of Bengals fans want to see Juju Smith Juju Smith Schuster injured, and I, I just think it's sick. And I just, I just don't like that attitude regarding this game, and I want it to stop. And until it does stop, I just can't expect it that it will. Right, and uh, you know, that's my thing about it. And I think, you know, you see stuff if you if you're on Instagram or social media, you see these guys. You know, they after the game, they they a lot of times they trade jerseys, even even though they're rivals and all that. And they take a picture with each other, and you know, they're they're buddies. Some of them. Um, I think Carlos Dunlap, I forget, is it Ruben Foster or someone? Not Ruben Foster. Um, uh, Ramon Foster. Ramon Foster, excuse me, yes. Yeah. I think he, it was either he or somebody else on that offensive line went to Florida with him. So they're buddies from their Florida days. I mean, it, these guys know each other. They play, but th- this game just has a, and I think it really, I don't know when you could say, I mean, you could say the Carson Palmer injury was the one that did it. You could say the wild card game a couple of years ago was the one, but it, it's just taken on a life of its own. And, uh, you know, like you said, people wanting to see Juju hurt. I think that's ridiculous, mm. but I do think that, I mean, playing physical, the Steelers have always, every time they win these games, the Steelers have essentially, I, I like to use the term out physical, the Bengals. Yeah. They have, and whether that's by intimidation, by hurting players or attrition by hurting players or by pounding the football and just being, you know, the, the three yards cloud of dust and grind out a win type of thing. I could go back to the Jerome Bettis days if you want to go back that far. They had just been more physical than the Bengals, and they've been more – they've had – they've exuded a, a more physical attitude than the Bengals. And that, to me, is the, is, is the difference in this series, you know, between Marvin Lewis and his days with the Bengals. I would rather see – I would rather see the Bengals come out with that intensity or whatever, but – like you said, it's a fine line to walk. I think someone in our chat room called it controlled aggression. Uh, was it was it Greg or um, gosh, who was that that uh, said that? Uh, oh, Carl Benson, old school football. Hopefully, no ejections on the Bengals side. <laughs> controlled aggression, but I mean, we saw this. We saw this thing, and I don't want to harp on this whole thing. It, it, it's just a major storyline, John. I mean, we've right. You go back to that wild card game. You saw coaches pulling Reggie Nelson's hair. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you you saw Joey Porter on the field and and goading guys. And I mean, there's just things that that in this series have got, gotten out of control and gotten out of hand. And I think to your point, the desire of injuries for certain players. I mean, that's just that's just ridiculous. And uh, I, you know, I, I don't really want to talk too much about that, but. The, the the bulletin board material is out, I guess, is where I'm going with this, right? Right. And and to your point, when, when it was Mike Munchak who pulled Reggie Nelson's dreads, it was Joey Porter antagonizing players on the field. I feel like you know it, it's right that from our perspective that we, we, we can hate that and we can you know say, hey, why aren't they punished for that? But they feel the confidence to do that because they can just beat us however they want to. And instead of uh, instead of the Bengals, you know, stepping up their game and just beating them, you know, old fashioned way, they've taken the approach that, Hey, we just need to be the bigger bully. But at the same time, when that's, when it's happened, they still haven't gotten any good results. So from their perspective, they're still the top dog and that won't change until they can just beat them in just a new way that hasn't been done before and just beat them fair and square. Just, just straight up outplay them. Just straight up outplay a team that you're better than you're better on paper than you're better 
talent-wise, just don't stoop to their level. Just be the bigger man in the situation, and things will eventually change. It's a, it's a great point because it's almost like, and it's an old football adage, it's almost like when you see a lot of personal fouls, right? Who's the guy that gets caught? It's the second guy, mm-hmm. right? It's not, it's not the guy who initially does the little subtle jab or a, a face mask pull or whatever. It's the guy who gets pissed off and retaliates and it's right at right there out in the open and uh you know the refs are there to see it it's it's kind of like the Steelers do that stuff like come on come on come on and then finally the Bengals explode yeah either it either costs them on the field or by penalties or all kinds of stuff you mentioned beat beating them okay you mentioned beating them in a specific way outplaying them how confident are you in this year's team if they are down on their home field, like like they were last week against the Dolphins, if they are down in that fashion in the second half against the rival Steelers, a team that has largely owned them, how confident are you in this year's team based on their comeback ability? How confident are you that they could do it again against a team like the Steelers? Or is the psyche just too fragile there still? I guess we're going to find out, I guess. You know, before this season, I would have told you like a one out of 10. Now I'll give you like a four or five just because there's a certain level of grit that we've seen from the Colts game, um, from the from the Falcons game, from the Dolphins game. You know, three, three fourth quarter comebacks don't just happen. And obviously there's a level of luck in there, but there's there's just a different, you know, there's this different level of, I don't know if it's like grit or just tenacity or just the ability to close games out. And when it comes to skill, like, the Bengals blew a 17-point lead against the Steelers last year because they just you know, took their foot off the gas. I don't think that that's something that we could you know, just expect this year based off what we've seen before. And if they're down 17 to the Steelers, they're not going to be the team that takes their foot off the gas in, in, on the road against the, against the division rival. So I would say that you know, because the Bengals should you know, beat the Steelers based off talent alone, I would give them more of a chance now than I would have before the season began, just because of the results that they've shown so far this season. Okay, so no, by all indications, and again, it's it's still for those of you who download this podcast later in the week. Um, the first injury report came out on Wednesday. Uh, it looks as if no Giovanni Bernard, mm-hmm. um, Clint Bowling didn't uh, participate in Wednesday's practice. He's been the most steady offensive lineman. That's not a good sign. Uh, Tyler Croft, a foot issue that forced him out last week. He kind of came back in. We'll see what happens with him. Didn't practice. Like really prices out. Um, we don't know about John Ross. How how does that affect your opinion of the Bengals' chances in this game? Uh, Bowling's obviously the biggest one because if Bowling doesn't go, then it's probably gonna be Christian Westerman, who you know we all love as as a potential starter, but to replace Bowling. Those are big shoes to fill. Mm-hmm. He's going up against, you know, Stephon, Stephon Tewitt, Cameron Haywood, J- J- Javon Hargrove, you know, three very talented guys who have always given the Bengals fits when they're trying to run the ball in the middle. If they don't have Gio, again, um, I'm, I'm fine with giving Mixon, you know, another 20 touches. But based off what they saw, what we saw from last week when he had minimal success running the ball up the middle against the Dolphins in the first half, they got to get more creative. They got to do more of the things that they did in the second half where Mixon had a lot more success running out of spread formations. And I think they can skim around, you know, losing bowling, but it obviously won't be um, easy to do. The Ross, 
uh, subtraction from the lineup was very noticeable against the Dolphins yeah. in that first half because, as, as you saw, like you know, when he didn't have that, um, when he didn't have Ross stretching the field, it was tougher for Boyd to you know create separation underneath. Obviously, Green had a great day because he's AJ Green and he can stretch the field on his own. But you know, it's it's just even when Ross isn't getting the ball, he's still impacting you know the the defense. He's still putting stress on the safeties playing deep. He's still putting stress on those corners who are playing deep zone and the Steelers are one of the most zone heavy um, cover teams in, in the league. So obviously, you know, R- Ross's impact will obviously impact them as well. I wouldn't expect Ross to produce a lot in, if he goes for the Steelers, especially because he's coming off injury, but he does affect, you know, the, the, the production of Boyd, the, the production of Dalton in ways that, you know, sometimes isn't always noticeable. Yeah. It's, it's the, fo- it's the defensive focus thing. And you're, you're absolutely right. I noticed it. Uh, gosh, second quarter, I noticed mm-hmm. it last week against against Miami where, you know, Green's bracketed and luckily some good throws by Dalton and some very nice catches by Green, kind of a combo there, led to his big day. Uh, and then Tyler Boyd, you know, really had one big play. I think it was like a 31-yarder, a nice, nice play. But other than that, was kept in check after a really nice start to the season. So, yeah, hopefully, you know, then you don't have Eifert either. Yeah. Uh, you know, that, that's another guy that takes away attention. So, um, you know, they got to start to get all, all hands on deck quick question. And then, uh, we'll, we'll get your prediction and then we'll move on, John. Um, and this may just be a quick answer from you. I mean, is Joe Mixon just simply a back that gets better as the game goes on and gets more carries, uh, seems to start off slow, seems to, you know, kind of grind out some tough yards early on. And then, as the game wears on, he gets more touches. He almost seems to get stronger. Is that me, or is that just a an illusion and a and a, a fake adage in NFL football, if you will? I I want to say it's the latter because I don't know if there's specific analytics that can back that up. Obviously, you know, logically, it kind of makes sense. You know, the more touches that you get, the more feel you have running the ball. But I I want to point to the Colts game where they kind of just ran with Mixon throughout the game, and from the start, he looked you know fresh as hell and you know he's getting successful runs after successful runs i think what the, the best example of this is um what todd mcveigh is doing out in los angeles with todd Gurley, who's running against i think like 90 percent of their runs have come out of 11 personnel and he's had like 91 percent of his runs have been with a box advantage and that's kind of just like the prototype offensive scheme to run the ball in the NFL now. And obviously Todd Gurley's the most successful running back in the NFL right now. So it's something that every team should emulate. And there's no reason why the Bengals shouldn't also do that. And it would also help Mixon, you know, get going a lot more earlier because, you know, the, running the ball is mainly just a numbers game. It's mainly about having that advantage in the box. It's mainly about, you know, giving the illusion that, you know, you're spread out, spreading the defense out uh, horizontally and then gashing up the middle. And when Mixon had successful runs against the Dolphins, that's exactly what happened. It just so happened that they finally started to do that late in the game. So I, I think it's more that it's, it's an illusion, but also it's mainly predicated on scheme. Yeah, I, th- I think it's probably a little bit of both. I do think that there are guys that just as you get more carries, especially at the running back position, you just get into a groove and you right. start, you know, you start gelling with your offensive line. And I think that's just part of it, but. And it's the uh, energy from Mixon that he also gives off yeah. from, you know, for, to his offense line that late in the game, it can give you an edge. So yeah, totally. Totally. This is uh, the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. You can get this show on Stitcher, iTunes, uh, YouTube, CincyJungle.com. We're on Google Play and Art19, so get the show where you can. We're going to get to some listener questions in a second. We've got a a jam-packed show. Uh, We had Brian Davis on from Behind the Steel Curtain to help us um, 
preview the Steelers game, we are still talking Steelers. We're going to wrap a bow on it right now. John, your prediction for this game. I, I don't know where to go with it, Oof. to be honest with you. I have to go first. All right. Um, I can go first and I'll say it. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'll go. I'll go. Uh, God, I don't know why we're favored based off all the history yeah. with this, but I, I, I do think that it'll probably go down to like one point the spread because I think right now it's two and a half. I'm going to, I'm going to, mm, I'm going to say they win. I'm going to say they win, not off a game winning field goal. I'm going to say off a defensive stand. Um, It'll probably be something like it might be a lot of field goals, maybe like twenty six to twenty three. Bullock has like a busy day from a lot of inside the forty yards if they can't finish in the red zone. Um, I, I do think that the Steelers' defense is vulnerable, despite having a rekindled pass rush against Atlanta. Um, I don't know, man. I I, I think that w- with you know playing the best team in the AFC a week after this, I, I this is something that. The Bengals can't afford to drop because I think it'll be a lot harder to face the Chiefs at Arrowhead Stadium than, than the Steelers on their home turf, 1 o'clock. I, I think they come out with a win, and I'm kind of going against my gut, but that's just the way it is right now. Yeah, it's almost a gut gut versus hard pick. And for those of you who do not know, uh, John is referring to the next week against the Kansas City Chiefs, obviously undefeated right now, playing very well. And that game got flexed to Sunday night where the Bengals just have not played well. That's next week, though. Right now is the Steelers. I think according, like you said, I think it's critical, critical if the Bengals want to make the playoffs that they get out of this stretch, this two-game stretch, at, at least one and one. Mm-hmm. They, need to, they need to get one of these games because you can't afford to drop a division game and you can't afford to drop two conference games. You just And then all of a sudden you're sitting there at, at four and three after starting four and one. That's like a big, big difference. Yeah. Um, Especially if if Pittsburgh, if you lose to Pittsburgh and they do start hitting their stride, um, I'm going to say this, and this may be a little bit of a cop out. I think if most or all of those names I mentioned earlier on the injury report do not play, I think the Bengals lose. Um, they'll probably it'll probably be a hard fought game. It'll probably be pretty close. Um, but if they're missing their arguably their best offensive lineman, their utility running back, obviously Tyler Eifert's out. If John Ross doesn't play, I mean, if all those guys are out, that's a pretty large mountain to overcome against a team that you just have traditionally not fared well against. I will say if most of those guys are back, I think it's it's a barely Bengals win. I think it's probably a 23-21 or uh, 24-21 or something to that effect um, to, to, that, they, that they can get past the Steelers. Uh, I'm definitely not so confident about the week after that, but that's a whole other – it's a whole nother show. Um, so, uh, I, you know, I, my prediction is predicated on some ifs and it's and those ifs are, are health. Um, we're going to get to some uh, listener questions in a little bit. We're running up against some time. You can text us for the time being 949-542-6241 is the number. We've already got text. We got text yesterday, John. Um, so uh, people are excited about this week. So for now, Texas, we're going to try and get some calls on the line. We're just running up against time a little bit. Uh, we still want to try and get some questions here. And we have the question of the night. John, have you had time to think about my question of the night about the linebackers? Again, if you're just joining us or uh, if you, God forbid, fast forwarded through portions of this podcast, <laughs> um, I asked a question of the night. And I'm going to give you some of our listener live listener responses too. Basically, who who would have been the best in the what could have been uh, linebackers for for the Bengals? I had Takeo Spikes who left after 
or before the 2003 season. So Marvin Lewis never got to coach him in this renaissance. Um, we have Odell Thurman, who had an outstanding rookie season in 2005, but basically couldn't get on the field from there because of drug, alcohol, and all kinds of other personal issues. Then you have Vontez Perfect, who's been the most statistically productive of the three, but has missed an immense amount of time with injuries, suspensions, and things like that. So, John, um, who was kind of the the what could have been the best, what could have been linebacker? Who would have had the biggest impact based on their circumstances if we're wiping the slate clean? Um, all right, so spikes. Uh, now a couple a few shows back, I talked about Brian Simmons uh, and how I loved him, but yeah. and he kind of played around the same time or a little bit after uh, Takio. Takio was a little bit before my time. I never really got to see him at his at his prime when I was really following because I just started following like you know early two thousands. I always knew him as a, had, he had a big neck. You know, that was like one, like the one thing I knew about him, and um, I, I feel like I feel like Thurman had the best combination of athleticism and tenacity. And he was kind of playing at the tail end of that old school era of football. You know, that like the uh, late 2000s was kind of like the end of running backs getting, you know, 300 carries a season or something like that. And, you know, it, it was before the explosion of the passing game. And my God, man, he, he just flew around the field. And when, when he went out, obviously the defense, you know, drastically – dwindled you know they were giving up a lot of explosive plays and whatnot and i i i just feel like he was he had the biggest potential over, over a guy like perfect who never was quite the athlete that thurman was and thurman was productive you know he could do basically everything and he was just kind of playing at the right time for linebackers you know to be physical in in the middle of the field obviously you know what he did off the field was inexcusable and um i I have no, you know, I don't, you know, what he did was bad, but I'm just saying strictly on the field, I, I feel like he was probably the best combination of all three, and the time was kind of right for him to really elevate the Bengals' defense to, you know, a much higher level than they were in the Carson Palmer era. Yeah, and, you know, he wasn't the biggest guy, but mm -hmm. he, he could tackle and he could make make those big wow turnovers and wild plays unfortunately we only saw for a year i do want to throw in an asterisk and i, I did see a couple of, of people mention this in the chat yes there's keith rivers in there too that could be mm -hmm. in this discussion um but i think we saw enough from him you know he had kind of the one big injury um i think we kind of saw enough from him to kind of say yeah he just didn't have it um and then there's also david pollock but he was more of kind of an edge rusher type of guy um he was another guy that unfortunately suffered a major injury and never so he those are those are other guys in there um i'm gonna say spikes man um and i'm gonna say spikes because that was that in terms of tenacity in terms of leadership in terms of productivity that was that was the ray lewis for, that this team was looking mm -hmm. for plug up the middle um, obviously probably would never have been and it proved based on his career, but was never going to be the Ray Lewis, a Ray Lewis, but he, he could have been a very productive player in this defense, especially in the early years when they needed more stability and more, uh, you know, it, their early years were, you know, let up points and yards, but get those big turnovers. Um, I think spikes would have stabilized that. I saw someone in here saying, uh, they thought, Spikes would have been a Hall of Famer. I don't, I don't know about that, but Spikes mm -hmm. would have been a Hall of Famer with the Bengals. 
Um, I saw just talking about some more of these guys, Michael Myers, imagine perfect before all these new rules when players could tee off of you. And they, they uh, Sean Blankenship mentioned perfect in the eighties and nineties. He was that kind of linebacker for sure. Um, it was Jason Von Stein that said spikes. If spikes stayed with the Bengals, he would have uh, been a hall of famer. Um, I mean, it's not like, it's not like leaving the Bengals, you know, diminished his chance of making the hall of fame though. Cause he's still right. a really good career after the Bengals. Right. Um, I think it's just, you know, unfortunately he bounced around to teams and he seemed to, he seemed to come on a team when they didn't make the playoffs and left. And then that mm -hmm. team made the playoffs like right after he left, yeah. um, whether that's an indictment of him or whatever, I don't know. But um, so he didn't really get the postseason experience, but he would have probably had some of that with Cincinnati in those early years. Had he stayed, that's true. Probably, probably would have been through some of those, those better years, those early Palmer years, those really good years. Um, and, and, you know, he and Simmons, you mentioned Brian Simmons, a vastly underrated player with the Cincinnati Bengals. He and Simmons worked very, very well together. Their their skill sets complemented each other in their first couple of years. So that is something to kind of take it take into consideration as well. Um, obviously, you keep Spikes. You don't really need th you know draft Thurman and all that kind of stuff. But to me, I think it's Spikes. And for you, uh, you're, you're saying Thurman, and I I don't think there's a wrong answer here. Um, mm -hmm. And who knows? Perfect. Even though he missed time again this year, uh, he could come back and play like a Pro Bowl player. He played pretty pretty decent last week against the Dolphins, so we'll see. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. You can get this show on iTunes. Uh, you can get it on YouTube, CincyJungle.com, Art19. You can get it on Stitcher and the Google Play apps. So uh, get the show. We appreciate the support. We appreciate all the live questions, as I mentioned. We're taking texts at the moment. Um on our live line, 949-542-6241. Uh, so definitely shoot us a text. We'll try and get some calls here. We're just running up against time um, because we got a lot to get to. Um, and wouldn't you know it, we have a call. And one second. Hey, this is the Orange Black Insider. Who's this? <laughs> What's going on, brother? For John, for you may not know, but Fatal Content uh, was a guy that uh, loyal Bengal fan and a guy that listened to our another podcast I was on religiously, called in, and was always an active listener. So I'm glad you have migrated to our show, my friend. How have you been? Oh man, I've been good. It was easy migration. I saw um, someone tweeted me actually. I didn't even know the show was going on. Well, good to have you back. Good to hear from you. Been a long, been a little while here. Uh, before we get to your question or comment, um, what uh, we're going to ask you the question of the night. Um, and I don't know if you were here when we asked it. Basically, it's kind of who would have been the best in the what could have been linebacker. And we asked. Uh, if Spikes, Takedo Spikes had stayed out from 2003 on, if Odell Thurman kept his nose clean and stayed with the Bengals for a while, or Vontez Perfect, if he had stayed away from injury and suspension issues, who who do you think would have been the most the productive Bengal linebacker, bar none? Oh, that's a good question. I think I have to say Odell Thurman mm. because of what, what he could have been, and he actually is out. It's hard to go with Vontez because he still has a load ahead of him to, to be that guy. So uh, I'd have to subtract him for that, but if it comes down to it, I, I agree with you guys, Odell, for the, for the same reasons you guys said, I, I, I won't long with it. Yeah, and uh, that's 
Yeah. What what could have been with that guy? Jeez. Well, what's uh, what's on your mind tonight? What can we answer for you? Just a couple things to keep it short, man. I, I, I think the team, uh, like we always say, uh, it, it, to me, what they do now doesn't really matter in terms of honestly in the grand scheme of things. I think the playoffs is what's really the answer with these guys. We've seen this before. Uh, but I, I will give them the credit that they're, they're turning corners. They're, they're answering questions. I mean, Andy Dalton, um, under pressure this weekend where he could have folded and, and folded the tent, so to say, he, he came back and made some throws in the grass, scrambled out of the pocket, showed a lot of toughness as he has all year. Um, also, we were slaying demons. We're, we're having a lot of comebacks on the prime time thing. I think we're, we're finally starting to quiet that down. Now, this uh, Kansas City game would be huge. But um, I think they're, they're starting to play some demons up until the playoffs. I think they're, they're at least proving themselves to now. But uh, to me, the, the playoffs is what matters. Well, yeah, absolutely. And like I said, these are two huge weeks coming up here um, against the Steelers and Chiefs, respectively. And two big games, two big litmus tests for the Bengals to really prove kind of where they're at. And, you know... It's kind of like my co-host John said. At some point, you guys start winning these games in order to be real. I mean, even even the people that are ranking them high and all this kind of stuff. What's what's the asterisk? Asterisk they always give at this point right now. Well, you know they can't win the big game. They can't win the big game. So um, I think I think this team more than anything, aside from talent um, and showing some intestinal fortitude, I think they're showing um, you know that they they're not phased very easily. They're not, you know, they just, they can figure it out. They can come back and um, in a lot of different scenarios and, and get a win. Your prediction for this week's game before we get you out of here, Fatal. Oh, you know, I want to put a ball in front of it, man. I kind of want to go, um, I kind of want to go Bengals 27-13. I want to go, but Ooh. <laughs> I think I'll go a little bit more realistic. I think I'll say 27-20. All right. All right. You heard it. You heard it from Fatal. Good to hear from you again, man. Uh, hope those hope those boys from the U are treating you all right. Oh man, not to bring that up. I'll just be quick. It was a great weekend. I was going to say that because it, it was a double comeback and back to back days for me when it seemed bleak. It was amazing. It was a great weekend. Well, that's a good weekend for you then. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, good to hear from you. Call back anytime and uh, hope you can join us uh, weekly again, Fatal. Good to hear from you, buddy. All right, man. You guys done a great job. Have a good one. All right. Thanks. <laughs> Who freaking dare? That's uh, Fatal content um, giving us a, a call on the on the Orange or Black Insider line. John, uh, you know, he's he's been a longtime listener, so uh, he said in the YouTube chat that he wanted to call in, and I hadn't heard from him for a long time, so definitely wanted to hear from him. Um, I, I want to get to some of these texts here. Again, we had one yesterday, John. People are so um, – you guys got chill, man. Anthony's just living his life outside of the podcast. Man. Hey, living, living the best life, bro. <laughs> um, well, to be honest, this this is from someone from Hawaii. So we had someone from Miami just calls in, and then we've got someone on the other side uh, from Hawaii. So you know, Hawaii's mellow. They're they're just they got a lot of time to think about stuff, and hang out. <laughs> um, it's from uh, and by the way, I was in uh, Maui this summer, so I. I love Hawaii. I'm a big, big Hawaii guy. Uh, Chi Hude from Hawaii. And this is a good one, I think, for you specifically, John. Uh, can you talk about the impact Alex Van Pelt has had on Andy Dalton? 
Um, and there's a reason he says there's a reason why Aaron Rodgers wasn't so happy to see him go in Green Bay. Aloha. Everybody's talking about Andy Dalton's uptick in play, rightfully so. Everybody's talking about Bill Lazor and how he's putting Andy Dalton in a position to succeed. Nobody is talking about Alex Van Pelt, and I think that is a gigantic get and a gigantic piece of the puzzle. Am I wrong about that, John? No, I don't think so. And, you know, I, I kind of I, I don't golf at the fact that, you know, the greatest quarter, the greatest throw of the football time is upset about losing his quarterback coach when he's like 33 years old. But I think there was some type of impact that, you know, Rodgers had with, with Van Pelt. And the, the, the biggest thing with Dalton is this. I, I saw, like, on Twitter, like, Dalton's stats against the Blitz. Um, his pass range is, like, top two in the league. And that's impressive at all. But it's it, it, that's, not, that's not anything new with, with Dalton specifically. He's always been good at, you know, identifying Blitz's pre-snap, going to the hot reads, hot reads quick, getting the ball out quickly. And that leads to deficiency. The problem with Dalton was dealing under, you know, when the pocket kind of collapses, when, you know, it, it's not a blitz, when it's like a four or three man rush. And that comes to the testament of extending plays, you know, getting your feet reset after dodging rushes. And that's something that Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers, the Packers, is so great at. And that's what makes him such a great player is that he's able to extend plays, going to his left, going to his right, kind of makes his offensive line look better because he's able to avoid a lot of those sacks that some quarterbacks don't. And that's the biggest improvement that we've seen from Dalton. And that could easily be attributed to Van Pelt's, you know, techniques of, you know, teaching him better techniques to face pressure, to face, you know, four or three man blitzes, you know, when they're trying to contain him and just making plays on his own because he's done a fantastic job this year compared to the first, you know, seven years of his career. And that very well could be a testament to Van Pelt. Great, great observation in terms of Dalton under pressure and, um, you know, what what he's been able to do. I, I see a lot more accuracy on the run. I see mm. a lot more stuff, on, you know, rollouts and stuff like that. Uh, I, I don't think that's all Alex Van Pelt. I think that's obviously laser kind of playing to strengths and, and potentially weaknesses up front on the offensive line. But, um, you know, he looks comfortable. Yeah. Dalton does. And he looks, he looks I, I think – you know, we can look at um, Bill Lazor a lot for sure, but I think Alex Van Pelt is a guy that uh, definitely has had an impact. We've got one more call, uh, and then we're gonna we're gonna get out of here. It's from our good buddy. It's from our good buddy Terrell, right? Uh, Terrell, how are you, sir? How you doing, man? Good. Good to hear from me again. What's on your mind? Interesting. Yeah. So by a lot of metrics, and I'll, I'll let John chime in here in just a second too. Uh, by a lot of metrics, Jesse Bates is one of the top 
to, if you like pro football focus and they're, uh, they're scoring, he's one of the better rookies this year up there with like Derwin James and all kinds of guys. Um, I, I mean, I mean, uh, he's playing like Earl Thomas, I think. I, I, I really do think so. Like, Well, you you watch you were in person you were in person for a hell of a game there, Terrell. I hope you had a good time and uh, enjoyed the Bengals comeback win. We're we're gonna we're gonna get you off the air here and talk a little bit more about Jesse Bates. Appreciate you calling in as usual. Enjoy this Sunday, my friend. Oh, thank you too. All right, uh, that was good friend Terrell calling the show. Um, I, I wanted to ask you about that because uh, you're you're a bit more of a film guru than I am, John. Um, it's funny to me, you know, he mentions Earl Thomas and, and maybe even Eric Berry and stuff is, you know, is early on what Jesse Bates has looked like to me, it's been very, very quiet, but he's had the couple of interceptions. And I think part of it is because the Bengals have let up some points and big plays. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've seen some confusion a little bit back there, but I, I, that's interesting that he noted that he saw him telling Dre where to go. I also saw guys go up late in the game, uh, pre-snap to Vontez Perfect to get confirmations on the read. And I'm talking secondary guys and other guys. I think two or three players at one time came up to Perfect to make sure they had the right read. Uh-huh. Obviously noting Perfect's football IQ and how he can diagnose plays. Your thoughts on Jesse Bates, your thoughts on Perfect's value because of his football IQ. Yeah, and the Bates is, you know, his leadership qualities is football intangibles. It's it's kind of like the un the, the the unsung reason of why they were so confident with giving him George Iloka's spot. It wasn't just because you know he has more range and better ball skills than Iloka to handle a single high safety you know alignment, but also because he, you know it just at only twenty one years old, he's actually turning twenty two. Uh, when we we're recording this, he's turning twenty two in a couple hours. So at twenty one years old, he came in immediately. Um, apparently took the reins as one of the leaders in the secondary as one of the youngest players on the whole team. And it, just like Terrell said, he's getting guys in position and he's diagnosing plays immediately and he's making plays on the ball. And, you know, for the lack of success that they've had in terms of giving up a lot of plays in the passing game, Bates hasn't really been targeted that much. And that's because he's able to cover so much ground and he's able to take away, you know, deep crossing routes and he's able to cover a lot of ground in very minimal time. So, not only has Bates, you know, produced on the number sheets, but he's also he, he's also produced with his brain, and that's very important. And that's kind of why you know they decided to go with him over Iloka. And when it comes to Perfects, you know, I, I it, it, it's not just the energy that we talked about, but it's also the fact that he can he can minimize his lack of athleticism with the way that he can replays in an instant and make breaks on the ball. And if he had the athleticism of Luke Kuechly, he'd be right up there with Luke Kuechly, but he doesn't. But because he has the intangibles and the read and react skills of an all pro player that allows him to be in such, in such great positions. That's why people kind of rally behind him, you know, to make sure they're, they're in the right spot. You know, he's, he's like the dad out there basically, even if he makes a few bonehead mistakes, but it was definitely notable at the, t- towards the end of the game, you know, perfect kind of kept everybody together. He kept that defense strong because they've only given up like 10 points or yeah, all, all games. So they had a pretty good game. Now it's because Burfitt kind of gelled it all together and they made some 
crucial plays in the run game and the pass game because of, you know, him getting back into the swing of things. And it was, that was great to see all as well. Yeah. And uh, we talked about last week, how, you know, when Burfick came back from a, a, an extended period to start the season before it was against the Steelers, he had a monster of a, a monster game against uh, the Steelers and mm-hmm. helped the Bengals get that win. Luckily now the Bengals, you know, Burfick has a week to knock off the rust, kind of get used to things as we go into the game against Pittsburgh and he's not traveling. Um, you know, yeah. so he, 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 he should be primed for a, a pretty decent game. I, I think, and I would hope, um, so yeah, good stuff from Bates, good stuff from um, Vontez. and uh, you know I think, interestingly enough, and uh, you can call it a coincidence or not, coincidence or not, but the Bengals' defense was giving up 28 points a game going into Sunday, um, kickoff re- or a punt return notwithstanding, and all that stuff. They gave up 10 points upon Vontez Perfect's return against a team that was three and one. Yeah, maybe not the most prolific offense in the league, but uh, you know, it says something. It says something to his value, and we'll see if that trend continues going forward. Uh, we're going to get out of here, and I just want to give some final thoughts, and you can comment on this, John. Um, as you and I know, this is a, a labor of love. Um, we, we do this uh, for the site. We do this for the fans. It's not something that uh, – it's, it's not my day job. Uh, it's, it's, you know, something else that we do because we love the Bengals and we love the fans and the, in the readers. And, um, every once in a while you get some comments that, uh, really pep you up and, uh, really make you feel good about what you're doing. And that was tonight. Um, and I want to, I just want to throw this out there. Uh, D'Angelo Hankerson, uh, welcome to the jungle, which is a very long, uh, name, but a good one. <laughs> He writes, follow this podcast. This is the best podcast uh, in our live YouTube chat. And then he says, uh, "They." Uh, Carl Benson follows it up with, these, quote, cats do a good job. I like that. And he said, yeah, they do a great job, honestly. Uh, so uh, very, very much appreciated from you. And then, uh, John, you got uh, – Andrew Seiler calls it the favorite part of, of his week – and he follows it up with, John, you are my hero and father. I'm glad you are now a regular on here. I'm uh, assuming he's talking about you. Uh, so, uh, yeah, yeah uh, you are, you are, you're the Darth Vader. Uh, um, uh, but we appreciate the comments, guys, seriously. Um, we, we do this. Yeah, we do it for us, and we do it because we're fans, but we also do it for you. Um, that's why we love hearing from you on the text line and call line. Uh, sorry, we couldn't get to more tonight. We just ran out of time. But John, I just, I, in case you didn't see that in the YouTube chat, I wanted to share that with you. I thought that was very cool to hear from um, some of that, as well as getting some old faces back, like John from Kentucky and Fatal Content from from previous previous con, uh, podcasts that I've been on, um, having them follow. So um, I don't know. I just wanted to share that with you, uh, which I thought was very flattering. I'm just grateful that these guys are willing to listen to 90 minutes of this podcast. <laughs> Because it's it's a long time and it's a lot of it's a lot of content, but you know we work hard doing it. And just 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 a quick note for me, um, whatever happens this on Sunday, be, be you know I, I told I, I asked for the team to be the bigger to be the bigger man in the comment section. Whether if you're on like Steelers SB Nation side, if you're on Twitter, just 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 be civil. All right, we we don't need to make this any worse. And I, I have confidence that our listeners are are the good guys, and they're not going right. to going to be the guys that rile people up, but 
you know, be, be a good example online, interacting with Steelers fans, no matter what happens, because we don't, you know, obviously want to escalate things to make any further. We, we want to make this better. We're going to make this rivalry better in the best way possible. So, you know, it, j- j- just be, just be the bigger person. Don't incite the conflict. Be the, be the, be the person to, to resolve it. And that's, you know, that's, all, that's all I can ask. Yeah. And we're not talking about getting up on our soapboxes, um, uh, about, you know, Oh, high and mighty and holier than now. But I mean, there's also the, the facet of the people that go to the games, you know, there's always yeah. just going to be jerks that go to the games either way and, and all of that stuff. So just, you know, you don't want to be the guy on the, on the, on Twitter feeds that's, you know, involved in some weird fight in the stands and all that kind of stuff. Just, you know, try and enjoy the game. I know there are people out there that are just jerks regardless. And especially when they get some beers in their system, it, it exacerbates it. But you know, just try and be like like John said. Just try and try and enjoy this game. And this this has been an enjoyable season in general. A much yeah. a much more enjoyable season than the last two. So uh, enjoy the ride and uh, enjoy Sunday. And regardless of the outcome, there's still a lot of games left, including another one against Pittsburgh. That uh, you know, the, the Bengals could could potentially um, you know potentially steal from the Steelers later on. Just real quick, again, Kevin Evans, my favorite podcast and Bengals show. Thanks so much. Uh, Mike, uh, Matthew Wayne Smith, John is all over, killing it. Yeah, you are all over, buddy. Um, Jason Von Stein, great show, guys. Always a pleasure listening. And Brandon Batchelor, great podcast. I've been listening for almost two years now. That stuff is very cool. We're not saying this on the air to, to pat our own backs. We're saying this because we appreciate it. And uh, we're just glad that you guys like, like, like John said, we're glad you like hearing us talk for an hour, hour and a half about the Bengals. And we like getting you involved. Again, this is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. You can get it on Stitcher, iTunes, YouTube, CincyJungle.com. You can also get it on the Google Play app. Uh, did I say iTunes? I think I think I said iTunes, but Art19 as well. Um, I, there's so many. I always forget if I, if I threw... <laughs> threw one in there or not we're also on twitter at bangles obi so you can follow us on there and uh, get all the content that you need news updates analysis commentary opinions on cincyjungle.com john and i are contributors there and uh a lot a lot of stuff coming up especially it being steelers week enjoy this sunday coming up let's hope the Bengals come out with a win five and one going into maybe an undefeated chiefs team um in kansas city on sunday night and um It's been a fun season, man. It's been a fun season. Thanks, John. Let's keep it going. All right. Thanks, everybody. Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation. And I want to tell you about my new show, It Seems Smart. It Seems Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seem smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain. Or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission. Or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart.
Claude 3 from Anthropic is your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. With models at every point of the price-performance curve, you no longer have to make trade-offs between intelligence, speed, and cost. Claude 3 Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence. Sonnet strikes the perfect balance between skill and speed. And Haiku is the fastest and lowest-cost model on the market, perfectly designed for high-volume, high-speed use cases. Join the thousands of enterprises who use Anthropic to navigate this new frontier. Visit anthropic.com slash Claude, C-L-A-U-D-E, today. Jumpstart your genius with Claude 3 by Anthropic. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. 